With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts the black effect presents family therapy and i'm your host elliot connie Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Ah, it's a Monday. It is such a Monday today. (laughs) One of those days. Like the weather here sucks. It was beautiful all weekend. And then as soon as Monday hits, it's just like gray and cold. That happened here too. You know, I was fine. I was streaming earlier today. I walked into the kitchen to make coffee and I swear the heavens opened and it just poured. I was like, oh, well. (sighs) Welcome to Boss Level, a podcast where we feature conversations with guests who have leveled up, bringing an XP boost to the table. Jess, it's so good to be recording with you again. How are you doing? I'm good. It's good to be recording with you as well. I feel like I've finally been doing like a lot of these episodes. I feel like, you know, I, I kind of had this like absence as I like started my new job and I, you know, the other three of you kind of took over hosting duties. Now I'm back and it's just been one after another, which is awesome because I've gotten to meet so many awesome people, so many awesome sure. guests, such as our guest today, Joelle Monique. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm good. I'm a little jealous because it's not raining here in LA. <laughs> I love the rain. We get, every time it rains, it's like a small holiday. Just, That's funny. You're living in the wrong place if you love the rain. 
Yep. But I hate the snow. So like it balances I mean, out a little. <laughs> Ireland's pretty great. We rain all the time. We never get sunshine though. So that's kind of like the trade-off that you have to be oh, okay, okay with. I just <laughs> yeah. write and read books all the time. It sounds magical. Yeah, that sounds like a nice life. <laughs> well, Joelle, I know you do a ton of awesome things. You work for iHeart and you, I mean, you've done so much other stuff as well for BBC, um, Playboy. Definitely going to ask you some stuff about that. <laughs> but if you had to kind of introduce yourself or if you were, you know, giving an elevator pitch or what would you want our guests to know about you? Oh, my goodness. Uh, I am a nerd who found her way into all avenues of work via fandom. I feel like that's the cornerstone of uh, my work (laughs) is all things Marvel. I'm a huge Batman stan. I love the Star Wars and the Trek. I don't get down with 24, but I could have, uh, I'm sorry, lost. I could have conversations about lost, less conversations about 24. Yeah. Writer, producer, host. (laughs) (laughs) Ta-da. That's a wide range, though. It's yeah. awesome. Yeah, it's, uh, it keeps you busy. <laughs> so I guess I would really like to know, you're currently the executive producer at iHeart. You've also provided your own, you were talking about being a nerd, you provided your own expertise on, uh, was it, let me see if I get this right, Nerdificent? Is that how you would say that? Yeah, so okay. as a producer for Nerdificent with uh, Danny Fernandez and Ify Whiteyway. Yeah. And now you are, you have your own show as well. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, it's called Comic-Con Metapod. It is a convention, a pop culture convention for your ears every single week. It's hosted by myself and my good friend Hector Navarro, who is king of nerds. That guy mm-hmm. literally has a DVD and comic book library that you can loan books out to to friends. Um, That's cool. It's the coolest thing ever. I, I really I really love Hector. We once tried to watch like a huge block of... Um, the first arc of Marvel movies together and the whole time he was just a behind the scenes commentary and that was the moment I was like listen that I have to work with him and that's been the goal for the past four years and so when this opportunity came up uh, LA Comic Con and iHeart teamed up they knew they wanted to do a podcast I had previously pitched a convention style podcast so they put me in charge of it and I got really lucky they let me work with Hector and so it's so much fun we've had really great guests like Giancarlo Esposito came on and cried with us about how much he loves like fan interactions and how important they are to him as a creator. He also talks about manifesting, which if you're into manifesting, hearing somebody who's made it that far, who really believes in like doing the work of like positive energy and networking and building in a way that's, you know, more spiritually leaning. It's really cool. I loved that conversation. Um, We had Christy Carlson Romano and Will Friedel. Oh, yeah. From Boy Meets World. Yes, from Boy Meets World, which was crazy. Cool. We only talked about it for maybe four minutes. I didn't get into the Mr. Feeney of it all because I was not allowed to go full fangirl. We did talk a lot <laughs> about Star Wars and like they love conventions. They have a new podcast. We talked about that. We had uh, Donald Faison on and Seth Green where oh, <laughs> they oh, were supposed cool. to do a debate, like a fan debate, but they got they like each other so much they couldn't debate each other. And so oh, they just started sweet. like giving each other answers and all is so cute and very very funny and that's kind of you know the angle of the show it's like let's have some fun people in if you're a comic book nerd we also actually go to conventions and record with artists and writers and do these very in-depth sort of looks at their 
careers and that's a lot of fun so you know sometimes if you miss a convention you might actually hear it on the show and we're really oh, trying cool. to bring in those local conventions that have like a really good like community around them but maybe are smaller and less known and and give some access and some shine to those guys so that's comic-con metapod in uh in a nutshell that's really cool thank you for giving us an intro to it that's really awesome yeah <laughs> thank you guys I'm, I'm so excited about it i just want more people to uh listen to it and give us feedback. Like I said, I'm a person who loves the fandom side of things. So when we get fans coming in, uh, we did a segment with Will and Christy where we asked people for their children's drawings and we had Will and Christy give voice to the characters so that when the episode comes out, the kids can like look at their drawing and actually have a voice by professional voice actors. So I really loved that segment. I actually stole it from Will and Christy's show. I was like, I'm stealing (laughs) this from you guys. They're like, do it. It's flattery. I was like, perfect. That's awesome. Um, in gaming, we talk about like the boss level being, you know, the kind of milestone moment or like the challenge mm-hmm. that you've hit and you've overcome. So um, what would you say boss level means to you and your career? Like, have you had like that milestone moment? Have you had a few milestone moments? Man, uh, yeah, I, so many. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm constantly counting. them. I'm in a lot of therapy. So we're kind of always looking back and going over <laughs> what happened and how did we get here? I think a major one for me was um, I crashed my car when I was working 19 hour days as a PA. Oh, wow. I fell asleep behind the wheel. It was very scary. I could have hurt someone. That was frightening. Nobody was hurt. Thank God. Could have hurt myself. But I had been like working so hard for this dream. You know, since I was real little, I I wanted to be in entertainment. You know, at first I thought I was an actress. And then I had an acting coach who was like, I really think you're a director. And from directing, I went to writing and then I was producing and I loved all sides of it and I found all of it a lot of fun, but the only way I knew how to get in without a direct line of connections and asterisks that I'll talk about the other thing in a second was to be a PA. And so I got hired to PA and I ran into a lot of racism, a lot of sexism, a ton of ableism. It just wasn't working. Um, And I was burning myself into the ground and I couldn't figure out what why <laughs> i couldn't figure mm. out not only why was i exerting all this energy but also you know why couldn't i get ahead you know i know i i've directed movies i've gone to con film festival and presented there why am i still stuck here as a pa in my mid-20s with a degree it was just very confusing to me so mm-hmm. i pivoted out of that i was able to find some connections to do the other route which is be an assistant you guys i have right. add that wasn't diagnosed <laughs> until I was 30. Terrible assistant. Just <laughs> god awful oh. assistant. Like, can't keep track of your phone calls, don't know where things are. Like, bad, bad, bad. And so it was, I was like, I'm never going to get in because I can't, I don't have enough money to be producing my own things. I don't have enough money to sponsor a career or to try to do something like, oh, maybe I'll work part time and supplement. Um, ADD caused me to be a very terrible driver. Couldn't do that for like everything was falling apart. And I felt, uh, a little bit crazy. Um, and I wasn't sure what had happened between like junior high school where I was a very good student and focused to this point in my career where I, you know, was pushing eight or nine years of working in the industry with almost nothing to show for it. And then I met, um, somewhere in between all of that chaos, I met a girl, her name is Tiana Hobbs. Amazing, amazing producer. Well-connected L.A. person. I think her uncle was like an L.A. Laker or something like she's one of those L.A. girls where you're like, oh, OK, you know everybody because you've been here your whole life. Um, and she introduced me to a network called After Buzz TV. 
I think would be probably the next big milestone. And AfterBuzz was a YouTube channel that would uh, review television and films and eventually comic books and all kinds of things. But the cool thing about it was they had a studio where you would watch a show, talk amongst a panel of like four people, and then immediately go into record with a live audience right after. So again, fandom was totally up my alley. I was like, we can geek out about, I don't know, Riverdale together or mm-hmm. Gotham when that was on. These TV shows that had, you know, Riverdale had a huge audience when it premiered, but some of the shows I did, small audience, but dedicated audience. So you're in a chat room broadcasting live to YouTube. I would do three to five shows a night, sometimes five nights a week. I was dedicated because it was the most fun I was having. And I was, I could feel myself building up a skill. So there was like mm-hmm. a lot of reward in that. And that's how I got into podcasting. I just was sort of there. From there, I became a researcher and a um, critic. You know, I was reviewing so much and people found out I could write and they were like, well, come write for us. And that's been off into The Hollywood Reporter and Playboy and a bunch of other places. And it's sort of how I landed up here at iHeart. So I think those were probably the main thing. All failures, I would say, are all of my, <laughs> all of my uh, milestones are marked by like extreme failure that I then had to like kill a part of myself and be reborn and and come back and (laughs) try to be better. I feel like I connect with that so much. And like, I really just want to thank you for your like refreshing sort of explanation of your journey, because I have had many like failures in my career, in my life, and they've all led me to bigger and better things that, you know, at the time I didn't know were coming, but it just feel like there's such this culture of like, you know, you have to tell everyone only the good stuff. You have to be happy all the time. You know, if you have a failure, you got to spin it in a way where it's, you know, and I just, I, it's so refreshing to hear you like openly, honestly talk about like, you know, your struggles or your failures before something that was better for you came along. Cause that, I mean, that's happened to me numerous times throughout my career. Now I'm in a very good place, but I mean, life, like everything is cyclical. Um, But it's yeah. so interesting to see you like, you know, have this wonderful career at iHeart. And also one thing I want to ask about is, you know, what is it like now to be, have us like interviewing you when it feels like you're probably on the other side of things. <laughs> Typically, you know, you're, you're producing the podcast. You're the one hosting and interviewing. Now here, here you are in a guest. What does that feel like? Uh, It's interesting. I feel like, I don't know. It's strange. I do a lot of panels and a lot of times panels were like, how do I do hosting and so on that side of things I feel like I'm constantly being interviewed with like by fans who are like how do I do this YouTube thing um or or, you know how did you get people to take your writing seriously or whatever um but then this sort of feels just like podcasting it's nice I I really like being asked my opinion it's the I have lots of thoughts and no problem sharing them very little filter (laughs) so so it's a good time and yeah and you know just to touch on the failure thing really quick I would just say I used to really let it beat me up a failure like I would feel like oh now I have to stop I don't know what I'm doing everyone's better I'm not gonna get any better like failure used to be a huge like controller of of my life but I to your point it's it's a requirement and I feel like if we don't treat it like one then we can't navigate it well you know because you're constantly trying to avoid failure I think a lot of times people don't try or they're trying safely which doesn't usually net big rewards um, mm-hmm. you should embrace your failures, listeners, if you're not there yet in your journey, embrace them in a huge way, because honestly, it's just learning and learning is just a series of failures until you know what you're doing. Um, so yeah, I, I try now, I try, it's an evolutionary process, but I try to really embrace them when they come. 
It's really hard. I feel like some of the times in my career where I've been the most comfortable and the happiest have been when I've been in an environment where I feel like failure is treated as, like you say, like a learning opportunity. Yes. And you're encouraged to fail. You're encouraged to make mistakes as long as they're mistakes that you can learn from and iterate on. That's mm-hmm. a good thing. And it's super, super healthy. And that's mm-hmm. been some of my favorite experiences have been like um, being in an environment where that kind of thing is encouraged. Because, yeah, I think sometimes you can be in an environment where you're you're scared to fail. But especially if you're in a position like we talk a lot about like content creation and stuff. If you're in a position where you're kind of like your own boss, um, mm. allow yourself to fail a little bit now and again, because you need to take that risk to be able to know what's going to work and what isn't. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Really, really. Tricky. It's going to happen anyway. Like the yeah, thing is exactly. you can't avoid it. It's, it's in the, there's no way around it. You will fail. Like you have to come mm-hmm. to terms with it and figure out how to just live in that in the same way that you have to sort of live and come to terms with like not everyone's going to like you or like what you do. Someone the other day told me my voice was unpleasant when I get excited. I <laughs> and I, I will be honest, it destroyed me a little. <laughs> I was like, I what does that? that mean i can't Mm -hmm. i've been told my whole life i have to slow down when i talk because people don't understand me now that's a note i can take i'm very okay you know Mm -hmm. i was an actor for 12 years i'm totally fine with like criticism um i don't always take it with a smile on my face but i will listen Mm -hmm. i can't change how my voice comes out of my body i could do some pitch exercises and maybe lower it a little bit but that feels like sexism and mm-hmm. if you don't like my voice, that's a you problem, not a me problem. Yeah. And so to bring it to my doorstep, uh, particularly from someone I trusted, it was just it was wild. It was a very mm-hmm. loopy kind of thing. But all of that to say, like, I think as much as it still is a struggle to just accept these that these things are going to happen, that you're going to fail or that people aren't going to like you, you know, hopefully you can look back and Mark can go, I handled that much better than I would have which is yeah. where I got to at the end of that journey was like, there was a time that would have been like seven days down, seven mm-hmm. days questioning if this should be my career. I would have taken it seriously for so long instead of the two or three hours that afternoon and then doing my self-care routine and getting back on my feet and getting mm-hmm. back to work. Like, so yeah, small improvements, failures will happen. You'll be okay. It's funny. You mentioned the voice thing because uh, one of the most bizarre criticisms but it was really just kind of an insult that I ever received was someone said that um when I'm talking I sound like I'm talking with a mouthful of peanut butter oh. and I have no idea what that means but that I'd sounds like, like to an acting coach that's butter. never had any success that's what that sounds like to me yeah someone like, uh, your diction doesn't come out trippingly on the tongue the bard wouldn't like it and I don't like it either get out of here that's ridiculous <laughs> it was such a random thing and I, I was like oh, okay what am I supposed to do with that information like that's just the way my Nothing. voice thought. yeah <laughs> that's, there's nothing that's, you can do with that and that's the tough thing though about doing any sort of like I mean that's the tough thing about the internet these days is it's like there's so mm-hmm. much noise out there and mm-hmm. like kind of Joelle like you were saying you know like it's technically some feedback you could do something about like if it's like Maybe I could go to voice coaching and pitch my voice out. Like, yeah, I know you're not going to or whatever, but it's like, yeah. okay, technically maybe I could versus there's other stuff that it's like, what am I supposed to do about that? And how do you separate like what could actually be valuable feedback versus 
someone who just doesn't like you. And if they don't like you, like that's not really your business to change their mind. You're not, that's not your job. You shouldn't have to do that. But again, it's like, there, you know, how do you know, how do you know what's valid feedback versus what isn't it? It all gets so, it, you know, you, you risk, you run the risk of like, what I used to do is like, I would just any, like anytime there was any sort of feedback, I just didn't like it. I just didn't like hearing it, you know? So mm-hmm. I just wouldn't listen to anything. Even if it was valid feedback, yeah, I, in I my mind would like conflate it with all of this other like stupid criticism that I would get that like, mm-hmm. I can't do anything about, you know? You got to protect yourself. And that's yeah. that's the first defense mechanism is like, I got a lot of bad, very mean, cruel, not advice things, you know, cast in the light of advice that were really um, just insults. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't like your voice. Okay. Yeah. That's not. And <laughs> I think, I think you have to take it from two, two viewpoints, right? So the first is who's giving this advice. Is this a person True. worthy of my trust? You know, mm-hmm. is this somebody who's invested a lot of time in, my career or in, you know, this thing that I'm talking about, do they have the knowledge to be giving me advice in the first place? Now that doesn't mean you're only looking to experts. A friend might know you really well. Uh, Someone may watch a lot of what you're doing and have value, but just consider who is this person. And then the second thing is, does this advice apply to me? I don't think there's like a great success story. You know, we as a human race, or at least I'll say in, in Western culture, from what I'm familiar with, we love a first we love a groundbreaker. We're like, how did they do that? And they were the first one and no one's done it before them. And if you look at any of those guys' stories, inevitably someone will say, you're crazy. Either you can't do it. It's impossible. Give up. Like it's a very key point in the biographic films of these people every single time. <laughs> so I think you have to stop and consider, okay, this just might not be advice for me. Maybe that is the quote, correct thing to do, but it's not my journey. And my journey might lead me somewhere completely new and amazing. I might be the first. You don't know. I'm trying a thing that works for me. I would also say um, if it's a piece of advice you're unsure about, you can always try it. You know, in writing, when you get a note, so I say, just try try the note. See how it feels. Does that not work for the character or for you? Do you not like it? Okay, throw it out. You don't have to take every piece of advice you're given. Um, but those two things, I think, will save you a lot of heartache. If you're like, this person shouldn't be talking to me in the first place (laughs) or this advice doesn't suit me. You can move around it pretty quickly. I once heard a very wise quote, never take, I think it was never take criticism from someone you wouldn't take advice from. Oh, and I thought like, Oh, that's really good. And I think for a while just now I was kind of conflating the terms advice and, and criticism, but like, I think that's such, that's so great because there are certain people who I would actively go to, for advice on like certain parts of my life. And it's like, if one of them had like criticism for me, then I would know it meant like it was coming from the right place. And it would be something I would actually want to listen to versus mm-hmm. like some troll on the internet is someone or like someone who I've never met. Well, I wouldn't go to that person for advice. Maybe they're a great person. Maybe they're not, but I don't know them. I'm not going to them for advice. So also why would I listen to their criticism? Yeah. That's completely fair. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm going to drop that very poignant quote, and then I think it's going to be time for us to take a little break. So we'll be right back with more Boss Level. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it and travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel, it's worth the trip. 
That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp's software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC terms and conditions apply. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including... Actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, 
Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome back to The Boss Level. Uh, I'm Jess Brohard. I'm joined by Psyche, and our guest today is Joelle Monique. Uh, We were just talking about some career advice or not really career advice. We're kind of uh, talking about how to, how to take advice, but I guess let's flip it around. Joelle, do you have any advice that you would like Mm -hmm. to pass on to listeners for maybe not necessarily like anything, really anything, anything to do with your career? Again, I know you've done so many different things and that's, I mean, that's one thing that I always really enjoy seeing a lot of our guests do a ton of different, like I've worn a lot of different hats in my career. Most of our guests do. And I think that brings forth like a, 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 a really wide array of knowledge because then instead of necessarily, not that it's a bad thing to like specialize in one, any one area, but especially these days, I feel like it's so valuable to have like such a wide array of things that you can do and things that you have done. So with all this experience do you ha- that you have, do you have any advice for our listeners? I do. Um, I sit on iHeart's union board Um and I recently did a call for them with a bunch of other aspiring writers. We're talking about, you know, what does it mean to be part of the union? What are things you can expect as a writer? How can you be supported? Et cetera, et cetera. And one of the things that kept coming up was people were like, how do I get to there? Like that guy's making X amount of dollars. I want to be there. How do I get an agent? Okay. Um, I was in this industry for 12 years before I got an agent and it was literally my friend was just like, Hey, do you want my agent to be your agent? And I was like, your agent's pretty good. She's like, yes, that was the secret. There was no secret other than someone knew me, had a little bit of knowledge of my work and made a direct recommendation. I've tried writing letters, uh, improving scripts, like everything you think of. And I could not get noticed. And one of the things I think I've learned most importantly on my journey is like looking up is detrimental to your climb. You want to look to your left and your right. Who's at your same level? What are they doing? And how can you work with them? Or how can you improve upon what they're doing? Or how can you guys help like promote each other's shows? Or, you know, do they have a script and you're a director? You know, maybe they have a ton of beauty products you've never tried and you guys are both makeup influencers. Do you want to like switch? Do you guys want to do a video where you're talking about the pros and cons? Like working with the people at your level is to me the fastest way to exceed because you're all meeting different people. You're all at about the same skill level. Most likely you're in about the same financial situation. So they understand where you're coming from and how you're going to be working and as they're getting success, the first person they're going to think of is someone they've already worked with, someone they can trust, someone who knows how they work. It has been the godsend of my life to have a large peer group of professionals that I can trust, that I call friends, that are also coworkers. You know, that has been, and coworkers I work with daily and coworkers in that we're in the same field and I can go to them and say, girl, I don't know how to do this thing. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. Or you know, I wasn't raised to work in corporate America. You know, I was trained as a kid, like, this is how you answer phones. This is how you do a job interview, which corporate America cares about almost none of that. It's crazy. They they tell you that it's important on your way up. But once you're in, what they really want to do is like, how do you order at like a fancy lunch? How do you um, negotiate this contract? And what do these big legalese words mean? How much should you be asking for? I was listening to a podcast the other day where they were talking about 
getting paid to perform in their first television show. They're like, we'll pay five thousand an episode, and the guy was like, that's amazing, five k. I've never that's twenty thousand dollars. I've never made that much money in my life. And then friends had to come and be like, bro, that's a ripoff, and you have to go back and ask for more. Don't ever work for that little. There's all these things that you don't know. You don't know until you're confronted with them. Having a group of people who are at about the same level, invested, doing the same thing can help you out immensely. If you find yourself in a position to be under, you know, the gods or kings and queens of your industry and you're learning from them, that's really beautiful. And you should definitely take notes and, and you know, do your best to to be noticed and, and be successful there. But really take care of your peers, <laughs> really look to your left and right. And, and I promise you, you'll get further and further in your career. I really value the idea of like looking up can actually negatively impact your climb. I like that idea because that is so important. And it's something that can be applied to so many different industries. It can be applied in content creation. Again, something that I'm obviously like deeply embedded in right now. Um, it can be really, really hard because you look at people who are, you know, perceived as being above you and not necessarily looking at the people who are at the same kind of stage as you. And there are so many people that are around the same kind of stage you are in in their journey and in their growth that you could learn from and that you could make connections with and that those things are really super valuable. And I think a lot of the time people maybe lose sight of that because like you say, they're looking up rather than looking to their left and right. And that's really, really important. Yeah, I would say, especially for somebody who has um, a neurodivergent condition, like Anytime I got in front of folks, it was hard for them to take me seriously because I wasn't a professional level assistant. I wasn't a professional level PA. And so the assumption is you can't move past that. So now that I'm in a position of power, I work really hard to bring in diverse peoples, whether that's, you know, from a disabled or LGBTQIA or racially diverse who mostly don't have these skills already as a way of sort of I guess it feels a little bit like justice for younger me um, to be like, these people are very serious and they care and they're hard workers, but they're going to need extra guidance up front so that they can catch up to the lessons that, you know, some people have had the fortune of growing up with. Um, It takes, it's a lot more work, you know, for me as a boss, for them as individuals trying to bridge that gap, you know, because you are still now in a professional capacity and you do have to, you know, you, you do have to know these things. Um, but when you have people who, as we were speaking about earlier, have some grace for you, can be patient with you, can see you through the difficult times. It's just it makes for a world of difference. I think it's it's the thing that makes me love my current job is, you know, I have a boss who if I'm having an issue, go to him with anything anything at all. And he's not afraid of any kind of emotion <laughs> or issue, whatever it is, there's going to be a way to resolve it and keep pushing forward. And I think that's sort of my ideal work situation is like, oh, there's a problem. Okay. How do we fix it? We got it fixed. Great. Go out and be great. Do great things. Um, That's sort of very loose and easy. We're not going to yell or get too upset. We're not going to blame or point fingers, which is my least favorite thing in the world. Oh, well, if you had gotten it to me two days earlier, what does that matter? We can't go back and fix it. We can only move forward and try to make adjustments and and hopefully it doesn't happen again. But I think, you know, a lot of my jobs before this one were I was working under a lot of perfectionists or people who had an ideal of perfection or who wanted, you know, and, and maybe rightly so sometimes wanted very like highly organized brain 
mm-hmm. high functioning folks, uh, which I was not. So, um, yeah, I think I think what's been most helpful to me is like accepting I'm not that person and then trying to make avenues for people who are also like that. Uh, so hopefully our industry can become more inclusive in that way. We have reached a save point and we're going to take a super short ad break. Thanks, everybody. See you soon. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes. That it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots as I sit down with inspiring women like Misty Copeland, Brooke Shields, Vanessa Hudgens, and so many more. We dive into how these women made their pivot and their mindset shifts that happened as a result. It's a podcast about women, their stories, and how their pivot became their success. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, my name's Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of On Purpose. I just had a great conversation with Michael B. Jordan, and you can listen to it right now. Michael is known for his performances in both film and television. His breakout role was in Fruitvale Station, playing Oscar Grant, which earned him widespread praise and numerous award nominations. His portrayal of Killmonger in Marvel's Black Panther, one of my favorites, further solidified his status as one of Hollywood's leading actors, earning him widespread acclaim for his complex and compelling performance. In our conversation, Michael really opens up. You're going to love listening to it, and I can't wait for you to check it out. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. It's always the feeling when you're getting ready to, you know, people give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. People quit. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to the one and only Ryan Seacrest love the connection to people. I think at the core, what I get excited about, what gets me up in the morning is connecting with people in an unscripted, unvarnished way is getting to to say something to them, hear back from them, know that I'm part of the routine. And I look forward to getting on the air. I look forward to it. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. 
and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Welcome back to Boss Level, everyone. I am Psyche, and I'm here with Jess Brohard and our wonderful guest this week, Joelle Monique. So one of the things that you did while working at Black Girl Nerds was shining a light on positive improvements within like the TV and film industry. Um, what was, well, why was that important to you? And how did you do that? Can you talk a little bit about all of that? Oh, man. Uh, yeah. BTM is such a wild trip. Uh, that's a job I got <laughs> off of Twitter where they were like, can huh. you write? And I was like, yes. And they're like, great. Here's assignments. Go. And that wound up taking me to like London to cover the premiere of Justice League. It took me, um, wow. To South by Southwest, where I went on my first, my my second solo trip ever, but my first, you know, intercontinental down to Texas trip where Mm -hmm. I got my first set too. Like that job just opened so many doors. And while I was there, you know, I was heavy on Twitter. We were in the Trump era, like approaching and then in it, we were, um, we were dealing a lot as, especially as a black culture of being seen for the first time in different spaces uh, particularly on film and television, we were seeing the rise of people like Barry Jenkins and Ava DuVernay to, you know, from festival circuits to the main eye. And I think that's sort of what I was clinging to because Ava DuVernay was the thing that got me to move to L.A. She has this great speech that she gave at Film Independent called the Code of Desperation speech. Uh, if I ever feel bad for myself, I play that speech and I get over that shit real quick. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically her whole speech was just if you're desperate, nobody wants you, which is an unfortunate thing to hear. And it felt really mean the first time I heard it. I was like, that is so cruel and thoughtless. Like if you're desperate, like you don't, how are you supposed to do anything? Like, it's so frustrating. You don't know you're not broke. It was my (laughs) initial thought line, but then it became, you know, well, what are you going to do about it? You know, people can only help you so much. And I think a lot of times it was going to people who I felt had already made it. And I was like, give me the secrets so I can skip this horrible phase. But the horrible phase was you have to learn your skills and you have to learn what you're good at. You have to learn what you're not good at. And so being sort of obsessed with Ava in that way and and watching her career blossom, you know, she is a very talented writer director, but then she went on to produce array, which is a distribution film company. And they go to film festivals and they pick up unique black cinema that most people aren't, looking at and then they made a deal with netflix so now it's broadcast across the globe work like that is so freaking inspiring like she is finding the next generation of black great filmmakers and not asking anyone permission she's not asking people to look she's putting it out there so people can have access to it and that's what i wanted to do i wanted to highlight 
black creatives that were doing great things already. I think so much of like, at least when I was coming up, if you were black, they were like, oh, well, do you know how to fill out a resume? It's like, yes, bitch, get out of here. What are you talking about? I have the skills. I don't have the access. Access is what yeah. we need. Not not skills training, not the like, those things are great. And I think they should stay in place. And I, I don't have a problem with programs like that because some people do need access to them. But there's a large community of people who literally just need access. They have all of your basic skills. They need to learn some of the advanced skills and they need to get in the door to try these things out. Um, and so I wanted to highlight the people that were doing that or that had the opportunities and were telling great stories. And, and I want, I wanted to connect people to the stories that they might love. You know, mm-hmm. I really, really love, you know, putting the right book in the right person's hand at the right time that, Oh gosh, is there's a better rush than that? I don't think so. <laughs> Being like There are lessons in I here and it will feel like it's written directly for you. Please check it out. Um, that's the best for me. And so, yeah, that was sort of my, my time at BGN. So while we're talking about your past experiences, I have to ask about writing for <laughs> Playboy. Um, yes. Like I said, I just think like, what, can you talk about what kind of content you wrote for them and what that whole experience was like writing for them? I'm just so fascinated. Like I like it. I just personally, I'm really interested in the whole like like I watched, you know, the um, what was that show with Hugh Hefner and, and his girlfriends, the the, the oh, bunny the, next door or whatever? Yeah, the house. The, no, that's the movie. It was, the this, house it was like yeah. the some. Oh, it was the something next door, right? It was like the yeah, but you yeah, door, maybe I don't I know. I was just so fascinated by. I'm just fascinated <laughs> by all of that. So please <laughs> tell me fair. about Playboy. So my time at Playbooy was short. I freelance, um, so I was working for like Playboy and Variety and the AV Club and the Hollywood Reporter all at the same time. I came in when they relaunched, so they stopped printing the magazine and they took nudes out, and then it died because why is there a Playboy if not for those things? Um, then they hired an entire group of like young millennials to be the head editors, which was really fascinating to me as like I was in my late 20s. They were all mostly in their early 30s, but somewhere in their early 20s. I was like, this is so many young people. It's weird to, to <laughs> especially coming off of like the Hollywood Reporter, which is like legendary icon writers and editors who've been in the field for 40 years. Switch over there. It was very bizarre. And they were having me do interviews. So. My favorite one was Kiki Palmer. They have a 50 questions thing they do where it's sort of like, uh, is it Variety or I can't remember which magazine does the 100 questions through so-and-so's home or whatever. But it was sort of that vibe. So I got to meet Kiki Palmer at a hotel when she was doing promotion for Hustlers. Uh-huh. And we sat down and we t- I watched her do the photo shoot, which was a surreal moment for me as a girl who came wow. up watching a lot of like model tv shows just hot girls going to photo shoots and i was like that's such a glamorous <laughs> life um and then there's kiki like getting in and out of these very wild costumes and getting her photo taken in the beverly hills hilton so it's very swanky um and it was cool and we did we chatted on the couch for a minute and i wrote out these questions that were kind of silly i discovered she had like 84 tattoos it was nuts it was a lot of fun um i also interviewed william jackson harper I'm pretty sure that was for Playboy, who was um, Chidi in The Good Place. If folks watch that, if you watch Love oh, on oh, HBO, love oh, he is so talented. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was a fun interview. So mostly I was doing like celebrity interviews for Playboy. And it was fun because there are less rules there. Uh, they still want like, you know, proper structure and, and the integrity of the actual writing. But, you know, 
you want to talk about ass play, go for it. It's Playboy. That was sort of the vibe. It was a lot more open. Um, I was going to say, I was expecting a lot of those like really juicy answers because like it's Playboy. And like, granted, I've never like read an article in like a Playboy (laughs) magazine. So like, I didn't know like what kind of content they were putting out. But you know, the (laughs) stereotype is that it tends to be like either dry or high, um, like intellect. uh, What am I thinking of? Like theory sort of speaking you know how funny well-educated opinion makers and influencers and like i think parts of on the road were published in playboy back in the day like that's sort of the right and then alongside all of that there's because it's supposed to be a quote a gentleman's magazine so gentlemen want to see tits and they want to think i guess um i I don't know That's, that's the vibe uh i would absolutely write for them again i tried to get them to do i kept pitching um oh man i can't remember this woman's name now of course she was a trans actress who first appeared in Ava DuVernay's Netflix series, When They See Us. And she does such a phenomenal job. She hadn't done much acting before. She's had a couple of big roles since then. But I met her at a party and I thought she was just fabulous. And I was like, you know, now that they're like all young and trendy, they should do like a whole trans thing. And so I pitched it and they got busy because they sort of blew up after I first got with them, but I might circle back to that and be like, you know, there's a ton of like amazing trans people out here doing great work. Maybe you highlight them in your pages. So we'll see. I don't know. I really like my time there, though. It's a good time. That's really Storm Reed. Our our producer, Dan, is asking Storm Reed. Is that I think he's asking about the actress you were talking about? Yeah. Yeah. Storm is great. She's fun. Um, She was I always saw her with her agent at random events and I would be like, you guys are like, it's going to happen. Like, I'm trying. I really want you there. Um, I think you'd be great. That's really cool. I don't know. I guess sort of Playboy to me has always been kind of a little bit of a mystery. So it's really kind of fun to do. They not have it in Ireland. Like, Like, do they not circulate the magazine there? It does exist, it, but I feel like it's kind of not something like I have to ask in the US. Can you just like walk into a shop and buy a Playboy? Yeah, I mean, I imagine you have to be 18. No, they have them behind like they put them in black bags and then they put those oh, yeah. behind like. I don't know how to describe it, but it looks like a pan, but it's completely flat, like a cookie pan, basically. And so you have to like you have to really be certain. You're like, OK, this is Playboy. Okay. And you pick it up and you can't flip through it. It's in a it's usually bagged. Right. Um, okay. So, yeah. so we usually have like the the more adult kind of oriented magazines are available in in like a, you know a bookshop or like a, a anywhere we get a magazine, but they're like on the super high shelves because they think that you know like mm. kids kids can't reach those and there's no such thing as a short person. So like, <laughs> short adults deserve porn yeah. too. Apparently, short <laughs> adults just do. don't get anything. They're like you I'm can get it, but you must ask, short... and it will be embarrassing. <laughs> so bring up the step ladder for you. <laughs> yeah, how embarrassing. It does exist, but it's like something that I guess to me, I say this as a person, the first time I ever went to the States, I went to Las Vegas and I went okay. to, uh, is it the Palm Hotel or yes, it is. The, the Playboy Hotel that has like the Playboy yeah. uh, suite and we had like a, it was a, it was a company trip. Don't ask. There was a Playboy suite. What and we had like a, I worked for fun. a company who did like every year because we had, um, I worked in the games industry. It's not like anything else but (laughs) um, every year because they had offices around the entire globe they would get everybody together in a central location and they Mm. always picked casinos for some reason so they picked Vegas for the first one that I was there for anyway and it just happened to be that hotel and I was like I don't really understand why this is the Playboy Hotel this is really weird everything looks like perfectly you know normal or whatever 
And then at like eight o'clock in the evening, I came downstairs from my hotel room and all of the people who were working at like the blackjack tables and stuff had been replaced with Playboy bunnies. Mm. And I was like, oh, this was a man in a tux a minute ago. And there's, <laughs> there's a lady in like a, like a really fluffy kind of like, you know, what's going on? There? And she's got bunny. Oh, this is cool. So that was kind of weird for me because again, like play, Playboy's a thing here, but it's not like a big thing, I think. So it's just, it's really fun to hear the kind of behind the scenes type thing. It's interesting. And that's funny because I didn't even really think about like what a very probably American like thing it is, but it's pretty right. pervasive in our culture. Really? It's like a, okay. you know, there's like the classic like kid sneaking off to his dad's bedroom and finding his Playboy magazines. Mm-hmm. You wow. know, mm-hmm. that's just like a, like every, every kid has had that experience or at least that's what the movies tell me. You when know? I was a child. <laughs> I thought my dad's Playboys as a kid. I mean, I, I was fascinated <laughs> by them. As you would be. Yeah. I read them at my gay friend's house. Uh, it was fun. Uh, he, he was like, is that really what tits look like? I was like, I guess. I don't know. I'm a child. Um, <laughs> the other thing is when I was a kid, uh, Girls that would go to tanning beds would always get the Playboy bunny like on their hip. Oh my Is god, you're thing? right. Yeah. What a oh my god, what a like 2006 memory yes. I am having. I didn't even think about that, but holy crap, you're right. Like high school girl, high school college age girls would like. Oh my god, that is so funny. I can't even like. <laughs> what are because I didn't do the tanning thing in high school, and so no, I like it was a big it. thing. <laughs> it was wow. huge. Like every girl that was like, she would wear her low rise jeans and her like Amber yeah. polos stacked on top yes. of each other. And then just a little hip would be showing and there would be those bunny ears. And it was very, very popular. Yeah. Well, cause like I, cause I just now remembered like that's a, com- a cultural phenomenon. I completely forgot about. And it's because like these like high school age girls couldn't get, like get tattoos usually without the parents' mm-hmm. permission. So instead they would wear like a Playboy sticker smart. on their hip. So it would tan in the logo. That yeah. was like, really God. smart. I'd never wow. thought of that. Did you actually, speaking of Playboy, did um, either of you see that apparently, hold on, I'm trying to find, yes, the, uh, global head of creator and influencer marketing from Twitch actually just left and has started a job as the VP for creator and influencer marketing for Playboy. Wow, that doesn't there surprise we go. me at all. Like I said, they're doing very exciting things over there. <laughs> and apparently, producer Dan has just linked us a little article saying that Playboy is the 21st most recognizable brand, like logo, really? I guess, in America. I, that's, yeah, which, I'm not surprised. I yeah. actually, in fairness, here's my, uh, yeah, we didn't really talk about Playboy all that much in Ireland. But whenever I was a teenager, I remember many girls in my class having like their little kind of folders that had all of their like notes and stuff for school. They had like stickers of the Playboy logo or like they had like the cutout on the, f- the front of the folder. So there was mm-hmm. just like a kind of negative of it on the front of the folder. Mm-hmm. I remember that being a thing, even though it's not as big a thing here as it is in the States. That's so wild. That it's bunny so has power. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. Um, so <laughs> I guess no, <laughs> we've kind of told <laughs> you about your entire history. I'm so sorry. But I'm just sitting here like, oh, wow. Yeah. Playboy. Interesting. Oh, let's talk more about that. That's cool. Um, so earlier on, we did kind of dig into the fact that you've had such a, uh, I guess, varied journey through uh, your, your career. Um, and you gave us some kind of like piece of advice that you had yourself, but what kinds of things, can you think of anything that has actually stood out to you that a mentor has, has given you as a piece of advice that has really stuck with you? Because I think that could be super valuable. I've been fortunate enough to have three mentors. Um, Sue Williamson was my theater teacher. I had Jack Smith when I got to college. 
And then I had Ron Falzone a little later. And those guys were instrumental in um, teaching me that my voice had purpose. Um, actually, all three of them. Sue, um, Ms. Williamson, I think she would slap me if she heard me call her Sue. Uh, Sue mm-hmm. Williamson would spend uh, summers teaching me how to speak and articulate. Uh, I really wanted to do theater. And she's like, but girl, you speak so quickly. No one can understand you. So we do diction classes all summer. I never missed a play audition after that. Always aced it. And then Ron and Jeffrey, I I would debate in class. I'm like a very much a nerd. So when people would say something that I was like, that's not accurate. We would really get into it in class um, in film school. And we had this thing at school called Cinema Slapdown. And um, it was cool. Because all the students were encouraged to come. You'd watch a movie. Ron would be in literally a referee's uniform. And we would just debate. So you could stand up in the middle of an auditorium and just talk about how trash or good that movie was. He had a whistle. It got cantankerous at times. It was a lot of fun. I can't. I struggle to think of a a single piece of advice. I would say all of my mentors pushed me to be more authentic. You know, I think I did a lot of hiding. I was very uncomfortable in my own skin for a long time. And I think most of their guidance was just toward sitting with myself and being like, do you like what's happening? And if so, why don't you do that more? Mm-hmm. Um, oh gosh, I wish I could remember. Sue Williamson was great at giving these speeches. Oh, there we go. Okay, that's a good one. So in senior year, I come up through theater with these like a huge class of theater nerds now usually freshman year there's a handful and then it trickles off and then maybe there's four or five kids left at the end but my crew had like 12 of us and we did it the whole time and a lot of them were friends who went to the same church i wanted up going there my like sophomore year of high school just like hang out with these kids we were tight but we were also teens and you know had our tiffs or whatever someone's car got egged and she was really hurt by it um it happened at a cast party it was awful just from an emotional standpoint like everybody's fine it's a car but it was awful and that like her feelings really hurt and then people felt like assholes and then who didn't and who didn't and of course that starts a rumor mill and it got messy as typical teen drama does and so sue brought us into again i'm so sorry ms williamson if you're hearing this ms williamson brought us into the auditorium (laughs) just the seniors and she sat us all down And she gave us this amazing speech, which I cannot recall verbatim, but the gist of it was basically in every single seat there has sat a person who was impacted by something on this stage. And every stage has been filled with kids like you who've been impacted by the work they've done here in this space. This is hollowed ground. And when you enter a theater, you are responsible not just for your audience and their enjoyment, but for your crew and your cast and their experience here. And when you break that trust, you break the sacred ground that is the theater. And why would you want to do that when it's such an important home and space for so many people? And that really brought home a sense of responsibility to any setting that I work in. You know, I think about that moment a lot. You, it sort of shocks you when the teacher that you pal around with all the time gets very serious and is like, you done wrong and I got to correct you <laughs> before you try wow. to do wrong again. Um, and I've always sort of viewed theaters, really any theater. I mean, a movie theater, um, 
a theatrical space type of theater, a dance hall, whatever, as hollowed ground because it's a place where people go to heal and express themselves and escape. And so, yeah, I think I think Sue Williamson's conversations on respecting the space and respecting your peers is well, that's the best advice I maybe have ever gotten. That's really powerful. Thank you. Yeah. Should we go ahead and wrap things up and 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 do some sure. social media plugs and everything? Psyche, do you want to lead the way? Absolutely, sure. Um, so super quick, I was at Advertising Week Europe last week, and um, I don't know if the panel that I was on is going to be available uh, on demand. I believe it is, but I'm not 100% sure. But if it is, it was pretty exciting. Um, I was talking with POC, disabled and queer content creators, and we were talking about how brands can create a more uh, inclusive and diverse experience, which was a really, really good conversation. And it was a super empowering one for me to be a part of as a queer content creator. So that was really exciting. Um, and my schedule is finally back to normal. So I will be on Twitch four days a week at twitch.tv forward slash Psyche and on socials as Psyche Plays. Wonderful. Thank you, much, Jess. <laughs> Thank you Psyche. Um, I'm Jess Brohard. I don't really have anything that I want to plug this week. So I'll just kind of plug my social media on Twitter and Instagram. I'm just at Jess Brohard, my name, if you want to follow me there. And then finally, our wonderful guest this week, Joelle, can you please tell our audience what is your social media? Where can they find you? And is there anything you're excited about lately that you want to plug yeah well thank you guys so much for having me this has been a thank very you. lovely conversation uh guys i'm joelle monique you can find me all over the internet at joelle monique it's j-o-e-l-l-e-m-o-n-i-q-u-e uh please 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 check out comic-con metapod if you love end of interviews if you love fan theory hector and i go as deep as our knowledge will allow and we're mm-hmm. excited to bring in some more folks i don't know if you guys know Rosie Knight, but I think she's going to come on and talk some fun Marvel Thor stuff with us later. Um, It is absolutely a passion project and I'm so proud of it. And uh, I just want more people to listen so that we can talk more about it, to be honest. Uh, Please come nerd out with me on my socials, even if you don't listen to the show. Um, I just want to talk nerdy things with people all day long. So, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you for being here. I will definitely be checking out Comic-Con Metapod because I, I, I am a huge fan of some of the guests that you mentioned. So I can't wait to, to listen to that. I'm just a huge nerd. So I'm pretty excited. Yeah, by same. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and then, of course, uh, don't forget to follow the podcast on social media at the boss level pod. That's spelled boss LVL pod. And join our discord for a behind the scenes look at this show. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to check out our brand new YouTube channel as well, where you can see some snippets from past episodes. And if you really have this kindness in your heart, we're going to ask that you please rate and review on iTunes. It's a great way for the podcast to get discovered by a new audience. Really, really helps us out. If you enjoyed it, please rate and review on iTunes or whatever other podcast platform you're listening on. And we will see you next time. Bye. 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 It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people, it gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the My Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. Well, how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.